You're listening to Living Faith, the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Avon Park, Florida. First Baptist Church is located at 100 North Lake Avenue in Avon Park, Florida. We meet Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. for Sunday school and 10.45 a.m. for morning worship. Sunday evening services are at 6 p.m. On Wednesday, we meet at 6 p.m. for our weekly Bible study along with our immersive student and children's ministries. Find out more at www.fbcap.net or give us a call at 863-453-6681. You can email us at info at fbcap.net. We'd love to connect with you soon. This is part of our current Sunday morning sermon series, Look and Live, Life and Light in the Gospel of John. Well, take your Bible, if you will, and uh, find the New Testament book of John, the 15th chapter, John, uh, excuse me, 16, John chapter 16, as we continue to make our way through uh, the gospel of John, um, the, one of the uh, toils of a pastor is, as we're preaching through a book of the Bible, you, you, you try to, you look at the text and you, you think of a big picture and a big group of text and, and uh, it's kind of like in my mind, I'm like, I can't wait to get to the cross, so why don't I preach a bigger section? And, and every time I look at preaching a smaller section, as I'm looking at the Word, it's just so much there that you don't want to just fly through and, and just barely touch. So uh, I know we have been in these last couple of chapters for several weeks, but man, it's some good stuff. So uh, look, you will, John chapter 16. I say that because Jesus has, has left the upper room. Can't miss that. He's, he's left the upper room. In John chapter 15, he was encouraging the disciples about their relationship because as he is going to the cross and he dies on the cross for their sin and the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they're living out the Christian life, it's, he understands that they need to know there are some relationships they need to fit, get figured out and they will be able to get figured out. So he's giving them these lessons so that when he does leave and send the Spirit, it will become known uh, in their heart and he says in John 15, the relationship with me is your Savior. My relationship with Jesus Christ, abide in the vine. Love, love me, abide in me, pour your, your life into me and you will bear much fruit. And then he looks at the disciples and he said, you've got to love one another. Love each other as the body of Christ. If the body of Christ cannot love each other and the world looks at the church and the church cannot love each other, what hope do we give the world about a Savior if we know the Savior and we can't love one another? And then he says, but you need to understand there's a relationship that you will have with the world. The world being fallen humanity, they're going to hate you. And that is a harsh statement. And I said this the other week. It, it seems like the world is going to hate you. And I, I think a way that we can understand that is, yes, as the world hates you, don't expect them to embrace you. And I think that's what we do as Christians too often. We want the world, we want to have a, our, our life in both universes, both cultures, both, both worlds. We, we are Christian and we want to have the, the blessings of the Lord on our life, but we also want to have another foot in the world and we want the world to embrace us and the world to accept us for who we are in Christ. And the world will never do that. It's never going to accept you 
in who you are in Christ. Now, a lost person may like you, a lost person may respect you, and a lost person, you may you need to have friends with lostness. You need to have friends with other people that are not Christians, but for the world's values and systems and attitudes to embrace Christianity will never happen. And so as a church, we shouldn't ask the world to embrace the same things we embrace because they're never going to embrace the things of God. But then he, and in a way that only the Lord can, and he, we looked at this at the beginning of, of chapter 16, and we're going to pick up here, John 16, verses 5 through 15. Jesus says, okay, but don't let that bother you. Because you're not going to be alone. Now, how, how discouraging would it be if we said, go out into the world, be a witness. They're going to hate you. Good luck. I hope you make it. No. He says, I want you to go out and be a witness unto me and live out the Christian life. And you're not alone. He's telling the disciples this to encourage them for the now, but also the not yet. And we have these words for us here today. We're not alone. I don't know what you're going through. I could make it. You want my list? And I have a list. You think pastors have a list of stuff they're going through they don't want to go through? We all have things that we're going through that we want to go through that are outside of our control. And it is so easy to be discouraged and despondent and full of despair. But guess what? We're not alone. I heard a pastor say this on a Twitter Twitter quote, why are you worried about tomorrow? God's already there. That came from a layman. I mean, it wasn't a pastor, not that that doesn't matter, but it was just a a guy that's on Twitter. Why are we so worried about tomorrow? God's already there. That's That's good preaching right there. We're worried about something that God's already in control of. As Christians, we're not alone because Jesus Christ sent the helper. John 16, verse 5. We'll read verse 4. Part of verse 4. I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you. Don't miss that. Jesus is progressively working his way to the cross before the coming of the Spirit upon the disciples, before his ascension and sending of the Spirit. He says, I I didn't say these things to you before because I am here with you. Then it says in verse 5, but now I'm going to him who sent me, and none of you ask me where you are going. You have to remember when you see that in verse 5, as you go back and look in John's gospel, there have been several references that Jesus is saying, I'm going away, I'm going away, I'm going away. But the disciples couldn't grasp it. They were not spirit-filled yet. They they had Christ in their midst, but they just didn't get it. They couldn't understand it. They were looking at it more from their perspective and not Christ. But because I have said these things to you, verse 6, sorrow has filled your heart. Verse 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I did not go away, the helper would not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes... He will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they did not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 12. 
I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, remember that statement, underline that statement. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Let me just go ahead and give you a little snippet right there. Jesus said, there's so many more things I want to tell you, but I can't. But when the spirit comes, he will tell you all truth. Do you know as a born again believer of Jesus Christ, it's even better than the disciples walking with Jesus Christ? Chew on that for a minute. When we are born again, we had all of Jesus we need. All of Jesus we can handle. Everything we need to live out the Christian life, the life of truth, this life of discerning right and wrong and having his presence in our life. Jesus says, well, I'm with you. You can't handle it now and I can't now. But when I send the helper, he will do it. Everything we need to live the Christian life of living this life of loving the Father and following the Father and being in the Father's will, we have the moment that we are born again. That's worth underlining too. He will guide you into all truth. For he did not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore I said, he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. What a collection of truth to encourage us as believers this morning and all that we have as the spirit of God abides and dwells within us now I pray this morning Lord that we will look in our own heart do we truly know you Have we truly been baptized and filled and and dwelt by the Spirit? Have we truly been born again? And do we have this Spirit within us? Show us that this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want us to look at two statements this morning. One is going to be a little short time and then... The rest of our time, I want us to look at the second one. The first statement is when Jesus says, I must go away. The second statement is, but I'm going to send the helper. So I think everything that we see in scripture is not by accident, but Jesus makes his first statement. I must go away. But now I am going away to him who sent me. And none of you asked me why. I am going away. Now think about those words. Jesus is telling the disciples, and here's what's key for us here today. I am going away. In other words, I am going to fulfill what I came to do. Don't miss that. As he's going to the cross, he is reminding the disciples, I came for a purpose. And everything I have done has been according to the Father. Remember as Jesus is... is, uh, dialoguing back and forth the Pharisees. Everything I have done, I have done because the Father sent me. I am sent from the Father. I'm on mission for the Father. There's a plan. There's a reason. I am coming because the Father sent me. I am coming to go to the cross. He says, I'm about to go away. And everything I've done, there's been a reason behind it. 
And when I come and I die on that cross for sin and I am rose from the dead on the third day and I conquer death and I, I ascend to the right hand of the Father and the Spirit is sent, it is all for the forgiveness of sin. It is all for the redemption of mankind. It is all for those that are here. It is all for you is what Jesus is saying. I must go away. And so you let's flash forward to today. Just as the disciples would have been walking with Christ in the going toward the garden, he's saying that I must go away to fulfill something for today. Now here we are today, 2018. I don't know what the date is. Doesn't matter. And we think about our life and where we are and the things that we face. Think about our country. Turning on the news today going through social media, looking at all this. Oh, we just get so distraught. And you're, as Jesus would say, I know your hearts are full of sorrow. And our hearts are full of sorrow. Do, do we forget that Jesus Christ came? He died on a cross for sin. He rose again and he conquered death. He walked amongst the disciples he ascended to the right hand of the Father. He sent the Holy Spirit and he says, I'm going to come again. But until I come again, you live your life out. The Father has a timetable and everything's going to be okay. And you're not alone because the helper's with you. But yet we forget that. We make a big deal out of life from our perspective instead of making a big deal out of life from God's perspective. Can you imagine all the time that we worry about worrying? That, that was a pretty profound statement. But do a little stopwatch. Whenever you start fretting and worrying, whenever we think and worry about things we have no control over, could you imagine me spending all day Saturday, oh, who's going to come to church? Lord, who's coming to church? I don't know who's coming to church. But I did find a new app this week. Everybody familiar with Life 360? Life 360 is an app. You don't know what it is. It's the greatest thing in the world. I synced Sharon's phone to Life 360 with her permission. I get a little notification. Sharon just went to Walmart. Sharon just left Walmart. Sharon's at home. Sharon's just left. She gets the same thing. Isn't that the coolest thing in the world? John left church. Somebody said, well, well that's kind of weird. You don't trust your wife? No, she never has her phone on. <laughs> so I like to know where she's at. Now, when you join First Baptist Church Avon Park, we subscribe you to Life 360. <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? Stanley, let's put on the app. Where is everybody today? Oh, okay. Yeah, I got you. They're having church over on the beach today. Wouldn't that be the coolest thing in the world? Everybody? Spirit 360. You're not alone. As you travel the, the world and the decisions and the future and the things, all the uncertainties, you're not alone. Jesus said, I must go away. He has gone away. He's fulfilled redemptive purposes on the cross. And he has sent the Spirit. 
And the next great redemptive act of history is his coming again. And we're, the, we're in the awesome fourth quarter of redemptive history. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, I'm not an Old Testament saint. I'm not in the intertestamental period. I'm not in the New Testament. I'm in the fourth quarter. And I'm not alone. And I've been giving a mission. And I can trust in the Lord because he's still God and he's still on his throne. He says, I, I must go away to fulfill what I came to do. He says, I'm going to him who, who sent me. I'm returning to my heavenly role. I'm about to accomplish everything that I said that I was going to do. I'm accomplishing the Father's will. And then secondly, he says, though, but nevertheless, I tell you the truth. Now, don't miss that phrase there. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I'm going to tell you something that's the truth. And look what he says. It is to your advantage that I go away. Now, I'm sure the disciples would not have want Jesus to be arrested. The disciples would not have want Jesus betrayed, not want him arrested, not want him beaten, not taken before the Sanhedrin, not have nails driven through his feet and hands and a, a thorn on his brow. He would not have wanted him to be uh, crucified on that cross. There, there are so many things that the disciples would not have wanted to happen to Jesus. But guess what? It was for our advantage. I thought about that today, this week, I should say, in my own life from just a, a kind of a pulling myself out of the text from my life. I wonder how many things in my life each and every day that I think are not for my advantage. I don't want this to happen. But God said, these things are for your advantage. To make you who you are as we live in this earth. And he says, their hearts, he says, I know your hearts are full of, of sorrow. We want to pile on the, 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 the disciples, but they really, you know, at this point, that Jesus hadn't died on the cross, they don't have the spirit, and we want to pick on them and say they're so selfish. They should have known that Jesus had to go to the cross, and yet they're full of sorrow. And we could say it this way. There's another way to look at it. How dare them be worried about themselves when Jesus is about to face what he's about to face? Oh, they're full of sorrow. If I would have been Jesus, a lot of things. Imagine if I'd be Jesus. I would have looked at them and said, you're full of sorrow? They're going to nail me to a cross and you're full of sorrow? I'm the one that ought to be full of sorrow. But that's us. We're full of sorrow. And instead, we ought to be full of a sense of confidence and joy. Because he said, I'm telling you the truth. I need to go away. It'll be for your advantage. Then the second statement that he makes, we'll spend a lot of time there. Notice what he says in verse 8. And when he comes, verse 7, the helper will come to you. Middle way of verse 7. The helper will come to you. Take your Bible. Look, look at, we're going to just stay in John just for a second. Look at John 14, 16. John 14, 16. John 14, 16, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. The fancy word, we just sing about it, paraclete. It means to, to come alongside, to, to, to be with, to come alongside. 
Here's another uh, other, other standing of that word as you really look into the word itself and the original aspect of the word. And we always talk about going back into the Greek. It's one like this one. Don't miss that. It's not just another. You know, here, here's one ball. I'm going to give you another ball. I'm going to send you one of me, another one of me that will abide with you and walk with you and be with you. So how much more do we need? We have God with us. I'm going to send you a helper, another one of me, another one as me. Deity is coming to abide with you. It is a helper to direct, to encourage. That's what it does. That's its purpose. It goes on to say, I will ask Father to give another helper to be with you, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The spirit, the helper dwells and is with you. Look right there in verses 23 and 26 of John 14. Jesus answered them, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love him and keeps his word, that word you bear is not the Father who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring into remembrance all that I have given you. So he continues to remind the disciples, I am sending another. I am sending another. Now move back to verse uh, John 15. John 15, 26 and 27. But when the Helper comes, who I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father. Isn't that a great location? Where did the Spirit come from? From the Father, from heaven, the glories. Where did Christ, the Father? We're going to come back. I want to encourage you to come back tonight. We're going to look at the role of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit in salvation, what Holy Spirit does in salvation, and why that is so important. Once we realize what the Spirit has done in our salvation, it just absolutely is transforming as we live our Christian life out. I mean, you want to talk about I can do all things through Christ? Yes, because of what we have in the Spirit of God and what that means to us. He has sent the Helper from the Father. And you will be a witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Now we look at John chapter 16. So in these chapters, he continues to say, these saying, the helper will come to you. Now, as we look at the, the helper coming, there are two things that we'll look at this morning in this text that the, the helper does. What does the Spirit do? What is the Spirit's job? What is the Spirit's role? What is God doing to the Spirit? Well, to the world... It brings about conviction. It's a legal word, meaning it, it shows what is the truth and what we think about. You've been convicted for a crime. We, we've looked at the facts. We've seen what you've done. And based on that, a conviction has been issued. You've been convicted of something. The idea is what the, the Spirit does to the world is it brings about conviction. It shows the world what is going on, who they are, who he is. You'll, you'll see this right here. Look at that in verse 8. When the Spirit comes, he will convict the world of sin. You know what the Spirit of God does in the world? It shows man who they are. That's what preaching does too, by the way. 
when we gather, here, here's, a, here's a, something to think about. If we gather for worship and we sing songs, even though there may be church words in the song, and we take Christian words and we have Christian words in the song, and let's say we sing song for 45 minutes and then uh, we need to spend some time making announcements, so we had five minutes here and there, and then at the very end, the, the, the preacher runs up and does a little sermonette. Hey, we've been here worshiping. Now we're going to have a little word as you walk out today. What does the Spirit do? It convicts the world of sin. And the only way the Spirit's going to do that is if it takes the Word of God and impresses it in our heart. I can sing songs about Jesus for 10 hours, but if I've never had the Word of God proclaimed by the man of God, the Spirit of God will never touch it and put it in my heart. Worship is not two and a half hours of music that gets my toes tapping. And we would wonder why churches that emphasize music over preaching of having so many within their church, you really wonder if they're born again because we haven't allowed the Spirit to do its job. You get that? If I'm inviting my lost, here's my family. I'm, I'm inviting my family to church and I want more than anything else than them to be born again. That's a good desire, isn't it? I need to expose them to the role of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is only going to be able to convict them of their sin as they sit up under what God has said about sin and what God has said about man and what God has said about salvation. Correct? That's logical deduction, right? then therefore I want my lost loved ones to sit up under those things and that is only possible as they sit up under the preaching of the word of God. In our society today, we've done just the opposite. Well, nobody wants to hear that. Nobody can. Okay, I understand what you're saying. The world does not want to sit up under the preaching of the word of God. We got that last week and we realized the world is gonna hate that, Amen. You follow me here? If I want to see my family come to know Christ, I've got to put them under the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is what convicts people of sin. That's the only thing that convicts people of sin is the Spirit of God opening up their heart to showing them they are lost. The only way that's going to happen is if I'm in a setting on a Sunday morning like this where the Word of God is rightly proclaimed not in some festival of lights and music and juggling clowns and go-go girls running around under the impression of emotional highs. They're just juggling, you know, juggling clowns and go-go girls. Imagine that setting. I've been in some settings. I was waiting for the juggling clowns and go-go girls to come out. The Holy Spirit came to convict the world of sin, to show them. When you say, what does that mean? To show them who they are. That's what the Spirit of God does. You want a great picture of that? 2 Samuel 12, 7. Remember David and Bathsheba? David thought that'd be a good idea. Remember what Nathan the prophet did? What a great picture of what the Spirit does. 
David, there's a man that did this and did this and did this and did this. Can you believe this man did that? And David says, I cannot believe that man did that. That man needs to be put to death. Who is that man? What did Nathan say? You're that man. You know what happens when you sit up under the preaching of the word of God? The spirit goes, you're that man. A lot of times we look around, even as a believer, when I sit up on the word of God, I hope they get this. No, I hope I get it. I hope I hear it. That's what the spirit does. It convicts the world of sin. Secondly, it tells us that the helper will come, and he did come, he will come concerning righteousness. It is the spirit's job to reveal to man the goodness and the glory and the holiness and righteousness of God. So what the, the Holy Spirit does, it convicts man of who he is, the truth about man. Secondly, it shows us the truth about God. That's what the Spirit does. It shows people the truth about God. The world will never figure this out on their... It is not our job to bring about conversion. All the tricks, all the gadgets, all the gizmos in the world will not open anyone's heart to the righteousness of God. Only the Spirit of God will do that. And the only way the Spirit of God will do that is that the people of God are seeking the face of God and preaching the Word of God. Have you ever been sitting there and you're reading your Bible and all of a sudden you're reading and something, oh my goodness, Goodness gracious, God is good. I, sometimes I just kind of hoot shout it out in the house. Woo! Jeremy, you all right in there? I'm all right. Good gracious. The Spirit of God will just show you something. You'd have never found it on your own. Third, the Spirit of God, notice what it says, concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Here, here's something. This is the truth that the inevitable combination of man's sin and God's righteousness. This is what the Spirit does. It combines the sin, it combines the righteousness, and it follows with judgment. What do you do with man's sin and man's righteousness? That is where judgment comes from. The Spirit of God shows the man of God their sinfulness and God's holiness, and then it judges accordingly. We are not judged. We're all a fall short of the glory of what? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of man. Is that correct? Bible quiz time. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of what? That's the judgment of the Holy Spirit. You're sitting there and you, you're hearing the word of God. You're unconverted. You're sitting there and you're sitting at church and all of a sudden you're sitting somewhere and the word of God is being proclaimed. And I'm not talking about a colorful text. I get so discouraged you know how many times in my life, and I, I tell people, it is not about the presentation, it, it is the message. I have been in so many settings under the name of Jesus Christ where everything is done except reading scripture. You know how many serves I've been in my life, and I just, I mean, it's not because I think I can do a better job, and anybody can do a better job. You say, time out! This would be a good spot for the gospel. You know, you're standing there, and I love sports, sports theme. You go to the sports clinic, and here comes the black tar heroin alcoholic that got saved. And they talk for 45 minutes of everything they used to do. And then they said, but then I got saved. You too can be saved. Well, don't. 
I'm okay spending 45 minutes of your life in the 80s, but you need to tell people what happened to them, what happened to you, their sinfulness, God's holiness, and what the Spirit will do through that. You can't, people are not going to get saved if you're not talking about the holiness of God and, and the sinfulness of man. That's what the Spirit does. I don't care about your testimony. I don't care what you've done or what you couldn't do or what you should have done. I want to hear what Jesus has done. If we want to set the table with what we've done, and there's certain settings that I go into, I may set the table a little bit to, to get on a kind of a, a building a little trust, I call it. But my testimony and what I'm doing and what I've done is not going to save anybody. I've got to get to the gospel. I've got to get to God and his holiness and his, his perfection sitting on high in man and their sinfulness and their separation from a holy God and what Christ came and did at the cross. I've got to get to redemption. I've got to get to need. I've got to get to forgiveness. That's what the Holy Spirit does. And the Holy Spirit will do it, but it will only do it through the word. That's what the Spirit does. That's not what I do. You know, I think about preaching. Man, if there was a way I could get people saved, you don't think I'd be trying to do it? <laughs> the light's just right. The music just right. The song's just right. The sermon just right. Nobody got saved. Whew, Joy, we need to Google this again. Better worship. Matt, we got to do some re. We need to go to another workshop. Not enough people get it. No, 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 no. It's a spirit thing. And what gets the spirit involved is unity in a church. An expectation that we know that God is meeting amongst us. A prayerful attitude of knowing that God is in our midst and we are encouraging the Spirit not only to work in our life, but in the life of others. We're, we're begging our pastor to preach the word. We're begging the organ to play the word. We're begging the praise team to sing the word. We just know nothing but the word of God so that the Spirit of God will just fall upon us. Because that's what the Spirit does. It convicts the world of sin. You know what the world needs? The world needs the Holy Spirit. Is what it, the world needs the, the Spirit of God proclaimed into their life. Secondly, what the Spirit does, it convicts the world. How about this? It reveals and directs, it reveals truth and directs his followers. Now, the only way the Holy Spirit's going to direct and guide your life is you've got to be born again. That's why so many people on church roads struggle in life so bad. They're not born again. And I know that sounds harsh. It doesn't sound terrible. How, who are you to judge? I'm just telling you what I see. That's all I can tell you about that. If the Holy Spirit's job is to reveal truth and to guide the believer and you are a born-again believer of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you have been born again, and you're spirit-filled, you're not following yourself, you're not listening to yourself, your truth is not based in self, it's based in God. That encourages me greatly. Because I'm hoping I got about 20, 30, 40, 50 good years. I'm going to be 100. Probably not. Sharon's saying, I hope not. 
you're, too, you're getting too high maintenance at 50. God, I don't know what to do. God, how, here's a good prayer. God I, don't, God, I don't know how to lead this church. I don't know what to do. And you know what the Lord says? No, you don't. But that's not your job. It's my job to lead the church and reveal truth to the church. Yeah, but so many don't want to hear it and so many act like they don't want to. That's not your job. You stand on the word. You preach the word. You shepherd that flock. It is my job to reveal truth to them and direct them. But what about those that don't listen, don't follow? They're not mine. That's a pretty harsh statement from Scripture, isn't it? If that is what the Word, if that's what the Spirit of God does, then either He's not doing a good job or we don't have the Spirit of God within us. So which one do you think is at fault? That ought to scare us to death. We think about families again, shouldn't it? That ought to scare us to death and we think about our city. I mean, how many people do we know that are good, moral, outstanding people that say, well, I think they tell me they're Christians and da, 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 but there's no but with the Spirit of God. You're either spirit-filled or you're not. You're either born again or you're not. You either accepted forgiveness of salvation, you were dead in your trespasses and sin, and you're alive or you're not. Well, don't focus on the not and get all discouraged. Just say, okay, that's where we are. Now we need to be more evangelistic. I don't look at it going, oh my goodness. No, I just, okay, well, based on what I see, the fruit's worthy of repentance. As I look out into our community and I look out into our community and our nation, the issue is not political. The issue is not economical. The issue is not anything philosophical. The issue is gospel. So, okay, based on the spirit of God abiding in the people of God and the way they live their life, then we need to be a better witness. We need to understand more in the spirit of God and trust in the gospel and trust in these things. I need to be praying more intentionally. I need to be living this life out because what I see out there is not born again spirit filled people that ought not discourage us it ought to encourage us because we know the only fix is what the spirit of God verses 12 and 13 I shall mean thanks to you now but you cannot bear them now you can't bear them now but you will when the spirit of truth comes he will guide you into all truth lord i'm a believer i know i'm a believer all i want to do is to be guided in all truth we have the word of god and we have the spirit of god that's what god has done he says i will reveal myself i will make myself known do what i'm saying listen to me jesus said now we have the word of god the canon of scripture we have the sufficiency of his word the infallibility of his word and what god has given us to understand him is the word of God do you know how many decisions Christians say they make so-called Christians make that are absolutely contrary to the word of God and they ask God to bless it isn't that amazing I mean I just I'm, I'm, I'm mind boggled by it it's like we read the Bible and we just take complete oh, I'm not doing that I'm not listening to that I'm taking it I've heard back in the crazy liberal days, still, we still live in crazy liberal days, but pastors standing in the pulpit going, well, 
that doesn't count. That doesn't count. What doesn't count? I want to know the truth. Here's a prayer. Lord, I want to know the truth for my life. I am born again, and I have the Spirit of God abiding within me. All I want to know is the truth, and God says, I've given it to you. You've got the Spirit of God that illumines the Word of God. Is that not the most simple thing? Everybody always wants to know, what do you do when you counsel people as a pastor? I, I join the Spirit of God and the Word of God. That's all I can do. You know how many times people sit there and look at me, well, I'm not doing that. Okay, okay, good luck. Have fun with that. The Word of God and the Spirit of God. That's what the Spirit came to do to us, to reveal truth to us. Not what we think, not what we like, not what we've reasoned together. The Spirit of truth. He makes known. He speaks and declares. Notice the wording there. He speaks and declares the things of God. Thus saith the Lord. You think about in Scripture, Isaiah and the prophets, Jesus himself, and we think about thus saith the Lord. That is what the Spirit says. Thus saith the Lord. Yes, Lord, I hear you. Yes, Lord, I understand it. And yes, Lord, I'm going to live it out. That's what the Spirit does. Lord, let me know the truth. The Spirit wants us to know the truth you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free that's what the spirit does that's his job and then last come back tonight we're going to talk more about that I almost missed this in my homiletical preparation I got excited you know what the spirit does it glorifies the son It makes Jesus a big deal. Some of you here this morning, Jesus isn't a big deal to you. There's two things going on. You've either are so hardened by the things of the world, you don't hear a thing the Spirit's saying, or there's no Spirit in there. Because I'm going to tell you, you know what the Spirit does? Spirit makes Jesus a big deal. I will admit that I spent a lot of my ministry, and I'd I'd say y'all, but just I've spent a lot of my ministry trying to get y'all fired up about anything. I go home, I'll be exhausted. Good gracious, that Gail Sunday school class must be on some of them old ladies' medication. I worn, I have worn myself out today trying to get them going. Here we go, here we go, here we go. I think it took this week by Wednesday. Oh my goodness. Jesus is not, I'm just, Gail knows him. I'm preaching my guts out to these people. Jesus is not a big deal to them. And then the Lord said, that's not your job to make me a big deal to them. Because if I'm theirs, I am a big deal to them. Son, that'll preach right there. The Spirit has come to make Jesus a big deal. I like that. I, I might preach on that again next week. 
He will glorify me. He will make me known. He ever, here, here's a good example. I cannot remember, I barely can remember the man's name. I still think I may have the name mixed up of who was preaching the second that I got, you know, that moment that it closed the deal. I think I know who he was. I don't know. I know I don't remember what he had on. I just remember it kind of had that, you know, 70s look to it. Probably a fat tie knot. Probably a red, white, and blue tie, 76. But this is what I do know. As he was preaching, his preaching made Jesus a big deal to me. And what Jesus did for me became a real big deal for me. And I was saved. The Spirit of God made Jesus a real big deal to me. That he died on a cross for my sin and that I need forgiveness of sin. And the preaching of the Word of God made Jesus a real big deal in my life. And then as we live our life in filling and being filled and dwelt with the Spirit of God, Jesus becomes a big deal in our life. I, I use this as a crazy example. We did not have a whole lot of deacon expectation in the church uh, that I was part of when I got married. It just, you know, the deacon examination was like negative. It was not existent. So they would ask you to be a deacon and then you would come to a, a deacon's meeting and they would try to be funny and they'd put a chair out in the middle of the room and have a light over you. And you'd walk in the room and there's a deacon of the ordination council. I'm like, oh my God, and I'm sitting there studying all day. So they, 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 the examination council was this. We want you to be a deacon. Okay, why? <laughs> because you come to church on Sunday night and Wednesday night. And I'm being silly now. I wanted to raise my hand and go, I recognize these five deacons. Who are the rest of these men in this room? Well, they're deacons. Why do they not come to church on Sunday night and Wednesday night? Can you imagine me, the deacon at 27 years old, asking these questions? Uh, well, uh, yeah. And then it says, well, why do you think if we ask you to be a deacon, you need to be a deacon? I remember saying this, because Jesus is a big deal to me. It's just a big deal to me. So whatever, whatever I do, it's not, I don't do anything because of y'all. I definitely want to come into prayer meeting on Wednesday night so that I can be a deacon. I can't, I mean, this, this is a it's very true story. I can, I, can walk, I can remember walking in the door the first time I got to, to church and said, Wednesday night prayer meeting. I looked at Sharon and goes, hey, I'm a believer. You're a believer. We're married. We want to do this right. Jesus is a big deal. If the church is having prayer meeting, prayer is pretty important to a believer. Jesus is a big deal to me. I think I'm going to go to prayer meeting. I was 22 years old and walked into prayer meeting where the average age was 400. And I remember sitting in there going, is this, is this that Sunday school class that everybody talks about there's no more promotion through? No! This is Wednesday night prayer meeting. Okay. And I just sat in there, did prayer meeting for years and years and years. And they finally realized there was somebody in their 20s in there with prayer meetings when I started teaching RAs. Brother John, why do you think we asked you to be a deacon? I hope it because Jesus is a big deal to me. Was that why you come to church on Sunday night and Wednesday night? Well, I guess so. Go back to that app. 
I see what a big deal is. You know what the Spirit does in us? It makes Jesus a big deal. Notice what it says. The Spirit will reveal Jesus perfectly. This is good. The Spirit reveals Jesus perfectly to us. And as we preach the gospel, it reveals Jesus perfectly to them. Now, an unregenerate person is never going to get that. We're going to leave that to the Spirit. But the Spirit of God will take the Word of God and make Jesus perfectly known. That is so exciting to me because I'm going to tell you right now, that just frees me up from my preaching. Because it's not me doing anything. The Spirit of God makes Jesus a big deal to those that are His. The Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ and makes him a big deal. And all that the Father has is mine. You want to talk about having a, go to Ephesians, it talks about being filled with a spiritual inheritance. All that, can you imagine, how much of a blessings can heaven hold? A lot. And the Spirit of God gives us everything that is God's. Can you imagine Jesus now, now back up. Jesus walking with these disciples, knowing that's what that means. Knowing they're going to see the arrest and the burial, all all that, the, the arrest and the trial and the crucifixion, knowing that they're going to see Jesus endure all that. But he says, you hold on. It is for your advantage because I'm sending the helper. And he is going to convict you of sin and righteousness and judgment. And he is going to reveal truth to you. And he is going to make all things known to you. No one else will do it. The Father and the Spirit and the Son will do it. He will glorify me for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Let me close with these last few words. And I've alluded to my role as a pastor, understanding more clearly our role as a spirit. How do we live our life then? I think we miss this sometimes. We need to live our life. We're big on missions. We're Southern Baptists. We're big on missions, right? But it's like we're big on missions to other people. We're big on missionaries. We love our missionaries. We give to missionaries. Missionary, missionary, missionary. Yes, we're missionaries. We're missionaries. And we live our life where we're just clinging and begging the Spirit of God to show us how to live our life. We are so dependent on the... Have you ever known... Well, I read a a biography about a missionary over in Turkey in the 1400s. And boy, they just really clinged on the Lord and depended on the Lord. That's good for them, but I got it. I don't need that because I'm me. No, we're missionaries. And we're living our life where we are dependent. 
dependent on the Spirit and we are consumed in the Spirit and we are trusting in the Spirit and we know that the Spirit is going to make Christ known to us and that Christ will be known to mankind. And as we think about our church and our ministry, we're just begging the Spirit to make Jesus known as we live out the Christian life, as we're unified as the body of Christ and we're living the Spirit-filled life as individuals and corporately of a body, we know that Jesus is going to be made known. We know that he's going to do his work. Because we're missionaries and we live that way. Or we could say another way. How about if we say it this way? We're disciples. They live that way. We live that way. I do want you to come back tonight. I want to look at the filling of the Spirit and how a born again believer of Jesus Christ cannot allow the Spirit to control them and that we can live in sin. So whether you're unregenerate, that's my new word of the month. Does that sound harsh? Unregenerate. It needs to be harsh. Our, our assurance of salvation is all eternity is based on the fact whether or not our world has been born again. And we need to quit candy-coating it, I think, and tell the world what the world is without Jesus Christ, unregenerate, lost, and dead in their trespasses and sin. If we're not living a life controlled by the Spirit and filled by the Spirit and Jesus is not made known by the Spirit, we're either unregenerate and we've never been born again or we're living a carnal, disobedient life. But in either case, and in both cases, you need to repent. And if you are a believer, the Spirit just showed you that as we looked at the Word. Now, what will you do with it? Maybe you're here today and you know that you've never professed and confessed Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Maybe today is a day that you need to be saved and to profess that faith in Christ and to begin to live out that Spirit-controlled, filled life as a child of God. Maybe you're here today and you've been a, a... This would have been me several years ago. I would have been a Christian for many years and I went into a season of disobedience and there was sin in my life and I was not allowing the Spirit to control my life and the only way that that got done with is I had to repent and to change my life and start living obediently. Maybe that is you today. But here's the great news about it. The Spirit is telling you right now what you need to do. Will you do it? Let's stand as we pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the word of God. And Lord, I thank you and just celebrate this morning your presence through the Spirit that as your word has been proclaimed, it has not been a John word, it has been a spirit word. And I know you will do your will and your work in the life of those that you are convicting. Lord, right now, if there's anyone here that needs to just let go some sin and some things in their life. They're, they're not living according to your word. They have rationalized and they have even tried to spiritualize your word and to meet their needs instead of what the Spirit of God is telling them. I pray today, even as we sing, that they would repent and to turn from that and they would begin to live a life where Jesus is a big deal to them. And Lord, I pray this morning that there's anyone here today that has never publicly professed their faith in Christ 
and they know that they need to discuss that with me or someone else and follow through with baptism, that the day is a day that they understand what that looks like, true repentance and true faith in Christ. Lord, we thank you for your spirit this morning that is showing us these things. And this we pray in Jesus' name.